Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe, Lewis Goldberg, and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, Nick and Ann are talking about all things cannabis with Pamela Moore, Vice President of Publishing at Marijuana Business Daily. With roots in the world of traditional journalism, Pam led content and strategy for events and media teams for the company UBM before joining Marijuana Business Daily in the fall of 2019, overseeing the editorial team, conferences, and media revenue. Our hosts sat down with Pam to get a read on MJ Biz Conference 2020 and what the MJ Biz team has in store for this year's coronavirus impacted event, plus the big wins for the cannabis industry that we just saw in the elections. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to the conversation. Welcome to the Green Rush, Pam. How are you? I'm doing so fantastic. I'm thrilled to be here. (laughs) We are so thrilled to have you. Um, It has been an amazing week for cannabis. Um, We're recording this on um, November 6th, where we don't know who the president's going to be, but we do know that the country voted overwhelmingly in favor of cannabis. So um, can you tell us what what the vibe is over there at MJ Biz? Um, I, I would imagine it's pretty positive. (laughs) Yeah, tired, firstly, because we've been covering the news like mad. Uh, But all that is coming on top of major excitement. So there were five states who had ballot initiatives up on Tuesday, and all five passed. So that is super positive for the growth of the industry um, and for the market overall. One of the even more exciting things is that we see as those five states uh, move to legalize uh, various aspects of cannabis, some of the neighboring states then feel even more willing to make moves of their own. So while we'll talk about five key states, um, we're also expecting that movement to trigger a bunch of decisions from neighboring states as well as we move into 2021. So the fun is not even over. I know. That's so exciting. And actually, I... I, I inadvertently jumped ahead, I think, because I'm so excited and so tired and so insert, you know, um, Muppet arms about everything. But I want to I want to just tell our listeners a little bit about you. So you're fairly new to the MJ Biz team. You joined last year in the fall, um, in the before times um, of, of 2019. Can you tell us about your role and, and what led you to the cannabis industry? I'm sure. So I have worked um, a series in a series of sectors, all as a leader of content teams and strategy teams. So what I do really well is work in big trade shows and big media properties. So moving to MJ Biz Daily with its magazine and news website and, of course, big um, events, you know, is something I know well. And then the sector, having worked in like big pharma and medical device and lots of other B2B spaces, the sector is just so much more fun. (laughs) Um, There's so much happening. um, And I feel better about it morally, frankly. Um, 
And the people that I meet and that I work, both who I work with um, on a daily basis on the MJ Biz Daily team, but also across the industry, I just, I'm so happy to have uh, an industry that encourages people to really bring them full, their full selves to work. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm having a blast. Um, and while 2020 has sure been interesting in terms <laughs> of events, um, that's just given us opportunity to lean in, lean in on the media side of the business. Um, so that's been fun. And how has it been like since you joined the cannabis industry? Obviously, you joined in the fall and then COVID hit and, it, and it's been kind of wild. But, you know, how has that transition been? What, what has been has there been anything that's been surprising or or something in particular that's excited you? Well, it'd be a little hard to underestimate just the general surprise of having a major global pandemic, especially when part of your business is to bring people together in person. I love how we um, downplay it. Like, you know, to see anything weird or different in the last year? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the flip side, the glass half full version of that, though, is... Um, that there's still so much need in this community, right? So the cannabis industry is still booming. People still need to meet each other. People still need to find the right partners to help them grow their businesses. And there's lots of ways that we can help people do that. So that's been exciting. Also to enter the space in the year where so many cannabis businesses on, in various states were declared essential, like, oh, oh this is like a, all these harbor that gets for real, yeah. right? It's real. So that kind of view has been exciting. Yeah. And I think that, um, that the, the, the fact that it, it was deemed essential, um, was, was just, you know, a, a bright spot in what was really just such an, a, a shitty time and continues to be a shitty time, excuse my cursing. Um, but I think that it, it has, it has been, um, just kind of increasingly shown the need for, um, for people to get access to the medication they need. And I think these, these states, I almost think that, that it could have helped these states, you know, they, while they won by major margins, I mean, especially New Jersey, um, you know, it, it kind of gave it the push that it needed. Um, so I guess let's talk a little bit about, um, about some of the, the states specifically, you know, New Jersey, um, which is, which is my home state, um, has, has really been this tipping point or talked about as this tipping point. And now, now that it's passed, um, you know, what do you think the, what do you think New York and Pennsylvania are going to do to catch up? I mean, Cuomo has already said that he thinks that, that 2021 is the year for New York. Um, can you get, lend a little insight there? Um, I can sure try, but I'll start by saying, isn't it funny that here it is Friday and we can't give it even four days. We're like, who's next? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm totally with you. We're doing the same thing. And in fact, um, you know, I work with such a great team of reporters and Jeff Smith is doing some reporting on exactly this topic, like who's next and by when. But based on what I know, although Jeff is going to drop a story next week that'll give us even more information, um, for, for sure all the neighboring states up and down that Northeast corridor are already making noise. I do think that New York is um, going to be a strong suit. I, Cuomo was interested in putting this into the budget last spring, um, and then whoops, COVID. Um, so we uh -huh. had bigger fish to fry. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. But I do think we can expect, I would anticipate for whatever my opinions were, it's some kind of um, introduction into the budget cycle in spring of 2021 from New York. Um, Pennsylvania, and I'm from Philly. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Big day, big day for <laughs> Philly. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, uh, so 
given that's my hometown, I can tell you, you're just a bridge away from New Jersey, right? Um, mm-hmm. So while we think of New York and New Jersey being so close, of course, so is Philly. Um, and Pennsylvania has such a growing medical industry. You know, there will be worry that they'll see a threat from that if they don't uh, legalize adult use themselves and just expand that market. They don't want everybody driving across the bridge. Um, so we'll see what happens, but for sure, movement is afoot. Are you Obviously, are you in Philly now? No, I just still consider myself a Philly girl, but I've lived in, <laughs> I've lived in Denver uh, for gosh, like 20 years. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I'm in LA and I, I, I am forever a Jersey girl. So, so I get it, but uh, I think just Pennsylvania is just so interesting just as we, you know, again, they're, they've become such a focal point in general for this election. Um, and you know, I I just think it's going to be a really interesting state to watch in the next, certainly 24 hours, but certainly next, you know, two years. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you brought it up at the uh, at the top of the call. You know, five ballot, five major ballot initiatives passed. You know, Arizona, Montana, Mississippi, New Jersey, and South Dakota. Can you walk our listeners through just you know what we saw happen on election day and and what it means for the industry as a whole? Sure. So to start from the macro level, this is the biggest electoral size deal. It's the biggest election year uh, for cannabis since 2016. That's back when Colorado um, approved adult use. Uh So um, it's not like this happens every year. It's a big year to have five. Uh, MJ Biz Daily estimates that by 2024, those five markets that are coming on this year or next year will be an additional $2.5 billion in medical and recreational cannabis sales a year. Wow. So it's no little matter. They'll be growing at various rates and have various sizes, um, of course. The two big ones, which we should focus on, is New Jersey that we've already been talking about. Um, so our expectation there is that can be as big as a $400 million market year one. Um, it's going to take them a little bit of time to write regs. They don't have the, they don't have the systems all in place, but boy, they're ready to drop them. Um, <laughs> So we'll be looking for those soon, um, and that'll be a sizable market. Arizona, we would anticipate, um, again, in year one to be close to a $400 million market, and they're going to be off to a fast start. So in Arizona, they've had, of course, a, a medical market, and their recreational play that was just approved um, gives those folks who are already established there um, in, in medical sales to just take on the rec sales as well, if you will. So there's some big players there who are obviously going to benefit from that, um, primarily Harvest and Curaleaf. Um, they already have a big vertically integrated medical play and we'll just keep on going with that. Um, they do have a social equity play in Arizona too, which we hope to see you know, be effective. So they're gonna license 26 new social equity players there as well. So all of that will mean that that growth will come on fast. One hurdle in Arizona is the tax rate they've set is a 16% tax rate. So as we've watched businesses in California competing, the legal market competing with a high tax rate, of course, it only allows the illicit market to be much stronger because how do you compete based on price? You have to really compete with something else. So we'll see how that plays out in Arizona. Um, Those are the two big places. 
the other things to note, um, Montana's much smaller market, um, but interesting to see that go. Um, South Dakota is interesting just because they were the first ever market to legalize both medical and adult use at the same time. I know. Let's get to it. <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> I think, I think that was the one we were most surprised by. Um, just given the, the makeup of the state, um, it's, it's pretty solidly red. So, um, I mean, but we, but we always talk, this is a, like a, a very solidly bipartisan issue. So, um, that's right. Yeah. The same thing in Mississippi, which is the fifth state. Talk about a red state, um, but legalized a medical program there. So exciting to see. I, I want to ask, because, you know, you have a communications background and, you know, we'll, we'll get into the the presidency and, you know, uh, further down how the federal like approach to this will be. But one thing we saw and was kind of surprising from the Democrat side, especially, is that they didn't really want to take a lead on cannabis in this election but you know after tuesday we saw drug reform was a huge winner with with voters do you think that um because of the success that we saw in these five states that you know more politicians are going to come out and and support this uh these you know reforms or legalization or decriminalization movements well couple thoughts there. We, you know, Kamala Harris did mention decriminalizing marijuana and expunging the records of people who were convicted of marijuana-related offenses um, in the vice, pres vice presidential televised debate. And she's, of course, one of the players behind the Moore Act, which would, um, in essence, legalize cannabis. So it was interesting that she mentioned it, like you only have so much time in those televised debates, mm -hmm. and it did come up there. I think that in this election cycle, relative to the other topics, like, you know, global pandemic, major recession, um, there were just sort of other things to talk about as important as marijuana would be. I, I have been reflecting a lot though, um, to your broader point on how the way that a community of people, a country, however you wanna think of the community, um, their, their sort of moral outrage on an issue can shift over time, and that makes introducing legislation and changing uh, laws and norms around things just simpler. So I, I happened, um, because I'm preparing some notes for an upcoming talk, I was looking at a recent Gallup poll. So every year Gallup uh, rates people on what percent of the U.S. population thinks that various things are morally acceptable versus morally wrong. So right now, smoking marijuana is sixth on the list. So it falls under, um, so for example, birth control is a 90% morally acceptable. Sex between unmarried people is 72% acceptable and smoking marijuana is 70% acceptable. So there's maybe a lot of numbers, but the point of the anecdote is that it's just becoming way more normalized. Um, so in the same way that we could see um, something like the Supreme Court backing gay marriage, because it just became like, oh, like, yeah, of course we do that. Right. Like, right. yeah, of course we don't have segregated schools. What are you, crazy? Um, um, not, to, not to put all these things on a par, by the way, but I think the cultural normativity of marijuana is just changing. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen it just in the last two years. Um, so... 
you know, as we're waiting for the final call on on the presidency, um, it looks like Joe Biden um, is most likely to win at this point. Um, and I think now the Senate is is a little more in play than we thought, you know, two days ago. Um, you know, we've got a, a runoff. Uh, Georgia's headed for a runoff for both of their um, for both of their Senate races. Um, and Alaska, oddly, has has come into play. So um, it, it's still a, a, a really difficult battle for for the Democrats at this point. But there is a little glimmer of hope. But how do you think a Democratic presidency and a Republican Senate um, can work towards meaningful cannabis reform? Are we going to see things like the Moore Act or Big Safe Banking Act, the Safe Banking Act, um, take focus? Or, you know, I guess, how do you see that working? Is it just going to get whittled down? Is Mitch McConnell, like, you know, not going to give the, de the Democrats any kind of win? Like, if you could look into your um, crystal ball, what would you say? Uh, well, chances are better than they were this year. <laughs> so there's that. Fair, fair point. Um, uh, obviously, having, um, you know, the, the Democrats in charge uh, at the presidential level is an asset. Where things got get held up, you know, over the past year, though, has been in the Senate and particularly um, in that banking committee. So it very much depends, like these last few moves and who sits in the chair of that committee in particular. Um, it may be that all oh, this, I, there are people way more expert at this, at this than I, but um, I would foresee, at least in the short term, a continuing role from the states. So as we said, we just had five, all those neighboring states in the Northeast. We're seeing New Mexico making noise about following suit with Arizona. Um, it would be fantastic to at least have uh, the banking rules normalized at the federal level. I, do, I don't have a crystal ball on whether that'll happen, but um, at least we can see a lot of movement at the state level. Yeah, I think I can definitely agree with that. Um, I, you know, you're absolutely right. Kamala Harris has, has been the champion um, within the, you know, supposed uh, or expected pre uh, Biden camp um, for cannabis, but I think it's going to be it's going to be difficult, and if, if the states continue to take a lead, I think that's you know what we saw under the Obama years was something that Joe Biden was comfortable with, and so I, I think I agree with you there. Um, yeah, agree. And it is interesting that even Harris's take on it is, um, you know, driven by her um, background as a prosecutor and her interest in social equity. So that's no small issue either. So I think when you're running, when you're looking at it from the business perspective, you want to see 280E go away, you want to see federal banking normalized. Um, and I think where she's seeing uh, an ability to move things legislatively is coming at that um, just expunging of the record uh -huh. and the, so the social equity issues. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be something to watch over the next two years. I know, I know all of our listeners will be um, but let's, let's shift gears. Cause I know we've brought it up a little bit here with, with COVID-19 it's, it's upended the world and especially, you know, a lot of different industries have been hit in particular conference and trade show stuff. You know, this time of year, Ann and I are usually huddling up, getting ready to go to be at MJ BizCon in Las <laughs> Vegas, but you know, that's not happening right now. I'm sitting in my 400 square foot apartment in, in New York city. I, I think I'd much rather be hanging out with all my friends at, at MJ BizCon, but can you tell us what it's been like to, you know, to shift towards this virtual format and um, what the event's going to look like this year? Absolutely. So 
for sure, we'd all like to be with our friends in Vegas. But what we've done is think through what are the things that the community needs that they might look for at an MJ BizCon, and how can we get creative about satisfying those needs, meeting those needs in ways that maybe we can actually meet better in a digital format. For one thing, we're all going to not have sore feet and have to wear uncomfortable <laughs> shoes all day. So there's that. Save you a lot of walking around the city. Yep. <laughs> Um, maybe save you a few hundred dollars or so at the blackjack tables too, or whatever. Um, and getting sick. So, Sorry. I always come home yeah. from Vegas with like a terrible cold or strep throat or something going on. So I'm very happy to be sitting here, you know, not needing to mainline my vitamin C. Sorry. That was just a, <laughs> that was just a tangent. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Um, so here, here's some examples of the things we've done. We have, we've already started MJ BizCon. It started this week and we're spacing content out all through November in what we're calling passholder days. So this is an opportunity to connect with just the parts of the marijuana community that you want to meet with, hear just the content that you want to hear and not be forced to give up a whole week of business to have that happen. So uh, this week, and all of this is already, um, if you've missed it, it's available on demand. So this week we had two sessions about these election results. So the very smart reporters who work with me um, and other outside experts came in and talked about the issues that we've already talked about um, on this session so far. Next week, um, and so it's timely I'm talking to you, we're having our Investor Intelligence Conference Day so this includes insights from people like Gene Sullivan from ArcView. Um, we have Jarrett Seedberg from the Washington Research Group. We have Vivian Azer from Cowan coming. So experts talking about what are the latest trends? How does the election, uh, how is that gonna impact investing in cannabis? And we have days like that scattered all through November based on various markets. We have a Latin America day coming up, a Canada day coming up. We even have a science symposium for people who are focused on lab testing, genetics, and even the more medical side of things. Um, so what that makes available is that, as I say, you don't have to like sit in front of your computer all day or take a whole week off work. And you know already that the people you're going to network with are the people who share your interests. So that's the other big win in going digital. So as you know, when you walk around MJ BizCon in Vegas, it's a total blast, but you never know who you're going to like bump into. It's very fortuitous uh -huh. rather than purposeful sometimes. So um, I, I keep using the analogy that it's like you go to a crowded bar, like you might find your love match, but... <laughs> who knows who you're going to find? So MJ BizCon 2020 gives you an opportunity to have it more be like a matchmaker.com experience, a little more curated in who you meet and purposeful. So um, there is a sort of AI influenced networking tool. When you go in, you can say, look, I really just want to meet people who might buy my wholesale product, or I'm really just looking for people who are looking to expand business up and down that new Northeast corridor. I got to know who's who and meet some players so we can collaborate and grow. You can be way purposeful in who you meet. You can schedule meetings with that person right there in the platform. So it's not as awkward as like, Hi, I'm Pam. Sorry to interrupt your conversation. <laughs> um, you already know what they're interested in. It's uh, great for us introverts. Um, same thing on the showcase. So this is like all the suppliers who normally would be on our trade show floor. You don't have to walk up and down and awkwardly peek into booths and, you know, 
you can just find the exact services you're looking for. And so tell people where they can go um, if they're interested um, and maybe catch up on some of the events that have already happened. Um, if they're if they're interested, what's what's the best website for them to use? Yeah, easy peasy. It's mjbizconference.com. Excellent. We'll have a link um, in our show notes for sure. Um, have there been, you know, we're, we're always, um, I mean, this year has been unique um, and we're all learning as we go here. Um, have you, what learnings have you gathered throughout 2020 on, on virtual events and engage, engaging audiences over Zoom? Are you, do, do you envision that in a post COVID world that, that some of this will carry over? Yes, I think that we'll keep doing uh, both a digital as well as a live event experience. So two things there. By being able to do a digital version, we are able to bring more people into the fold. It costs a lot to get yourself to Vegas and stay in a hotel and feed yourself and all that. Um, so we see that um, Lots of companies will send one person and everybody else is kind of out of luck. So this is our sort of opening the gates and letting more people be a part of MJ BizCon, whether we're gathered in person or not. The other piece that we've learned about virtual events is to stop thinking about them as virtual events. Like you cannot take a trade show with 35,000 people and just port it online. Instead, you need to think about what you can make different about a digital experience that, as I say, might actually be better. Um, so, um, reimagining the purpose of the event, the purpose of the event is to get education and to meet other people. So how do we do that in a digital setting and start from the digital mindset rather than back ending the thing? Love it. Yeah. Anything that can, you know, end that zoom fatigue and really make it, make it valuable. Cause I know a lot of different you know, groups have tried to do the the virtual stuff or tried to do it where it's online and meeting. And it's it's been a, a learning experience for everyone, but um, excited to take part in, in what you guys have going on. And um, we'll, uh, I know you have a, a, a discount code for, for our listeners. So um, we'll make sure we include that in the show notes. So if uh, anybody's interested in um, uh, signing up and registering for it, make sure you, you check our show notes to get that, get that discount. Um, Great, thanks. <laughs> Um, but okay, so let's let's take another step back and and just look at the the state of the cannabis industry as a whole. You know, we we talked about it being named an essential service. We it's going to be big if the the Democrats are going to be in the presidency. Um, you know, throughout all of COVID, cannabis has seemed to survive fairly well. Um, so tell us, what's excited you the most this year about about the growth of the industry, and what has you excited as we get closer to entering twenty twenty one. Um, I think that we are going to see more and more um, consolidation and kind of seriousness of business purpose. So like in the dot-com era, era, we've previously seen a lot of companies um, just ride that green wave, all about projected growth, projected expectations, even about how legislation is going to change. Um, one of my reporters this week said, gosh, we really need to stop seeing businesses that are built on things that are illegal right now. Like, okay, <laughs> what other industry is that yeah. like the starting point for how you lay a strategy? <laughs> Let um, us know when you figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, uh, especially on the investing side, we're seeing much more, the dollars will flow to the businesses that are built on a solid, sustainable business model. So much more um, 
looking at the bottom line and not just the top line, not just revenue, but actual profitability and sustainable profitability, much less speculation that you just need to take over a market no matter what it costs. Um, I think we're seeing people much more sensitive to the role that competitors play, whereas I feel like um, coming into this industry with fresh eyes only a year ago, I was like, why are all these people just producing the same sort of thing without any look at how they compare to their competitors in the space? Because it seems like easy money. It seems like you can't lose. But of course, you can, as we've seen dramatically this year. Um, um, I, so that sort of consolidation and seriousness of purpose will continue. I think one of the things that we're tracking uh, through the news is the emergence of more and more national brands. Certainly, we're seeing a lot of attraction on our website and webinars and other things we do that are around branding and marketing. Emergence of national brands. Right now, of course, that's by multi-state operators, but people are situating themselves so they're ready to go national and be branded in their product, um, whether that's a dispensary brand name or whether that's a, a product itself brand name, um, so that things get distinguished. The, the hard, one of the bellwethers around that this year has been the cookies brand, but there's others as well where you get to be known for the product brand in a way that happens in other re kinds of retail spaces. Um, coming from medical, my analogy is um, pharmaceutical companies historically relied very strongly on the medical doctors, the prescribers, to drive sales, uh, but at some point started pivoting to more investment in direct-to-consumer advertising. So instead, the consumer goes into the physician and says, I want a prescription for this. Um, I think we're seeing the same sort of shift in in the consumer products in the cannabis space. So where the bud tender used to be the decider, you'd go into the dispensary and you'd get educated and they'd sort of tell you their favorite. And we used to see a lot of really isolated sales. So one shop would sell a lot of one product because that's what the bud tender liked. And now we're seeing much more diversity in the data that uh, we partner with Headset on this and we see much more diversity. So it's more like popular brands, no matter what shop you're at. Um, so that's interesting to me too. You have, we, we asked this last question of all of our guests um, and I'm excited to talk to you about it because you, know, you, have, you have such access to reporters and editors um, and you know, what they're thinking and, and what they're passionate about. We, we always ask people, what story in cannabis do you think is being underreported or being missed by the media? So if you, but being that you are the media, what's a story that, that you would like to, to tell, you know, one of your, your colleagues like, God, I would just love to see this story completely blown out and reported in next week's, you know, or next month's magazine. Are there any, are there any that are coming to mind? No, I could tell you lots about what's wrong about the pitches we get. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> you, yeah, you mean you don't want to know take. about the latest CBD brand to come out? That's from that's I don't know, insert all of the platitudes and cures everything in your life. <laughs> right. Did you realize this can cure every ill you've ever had? Um, <laughs> I hope those um, pitches so never come from KZSA, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, 
So it is, uh, first of all, I should say it is credit to the reporting team that we do have at MJ Biz Daily that nothing does come to mind that we don't cover. Um, I might rather ask your audience if there's something you think we're missing that you'd love to see reported, feel free to let me know because I bet we just haven't thought of it yet. Um, so on the pitch side, though, we do get so many people who just underestimate the, no, like almost the scale of the industry right now. So what we want to report on is stories that will impact the full industry. So the fact that one shop opens in wherever, you name it, Venice Beach, California, Newtown, Massachusetts, whatever, is not, is not a game changer for the industry. We're looking for big trends um, and big uh, systemic or strategic shifts in how businesses are being run. And that's a story because other people can take advantage of those insights as well. I love it. Um, well, Pam Moore, thank you so much. Um, we really enjoyed having you on and thank you so much for offering our listeners, um, a discount code. We'll make sure that we, we stick a link in our show notes there. Um, is there, is there anything we've missed? Anything you want to, you want to plug before we go? I just can't wait to see everybody there. When you, uh, log into MJ BizCon, feel free to look me up. I'll look forward to meeting y'all. Excellent. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. Special thanks to our guest, Pam Moore of MJ Biz. Uh, make sure to learn more or register for MJ BizCon by visiting mjbizconference.com or you can follow at mjbizdaily on Twitter. Also for our listeners, as we talked about, we will be posting a special 10% off code um, for registering at MJ BizCon for your purchasing tickets um, in our show notes. So be sure to check that out. Um, as always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to chat with Anne or I, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore green rush or on Instagram at the green rush underscore podcast. Drop us an email at green rush or the, our email at green rush at KCSA.com. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to us uh, on our, your favorite podcatcher and to our newsletter. That's one take Shay. One take. One take.